Hey listeners, I'm Adam, and this is Can I Ask You a Question, a podcast where anyone is welcome to join me for an episode to share their thoughts on a topic of their choice. I'm looking forward to hearing new opinions and perspectives, and hopefully becoming a bit more open-minded along the way. If you're interested in joining me for a future episode, feel free to check out the sign-up link in this episode's description. This episode is brought to you by the Everyday App. Technically, this is an ad, but the Everyday app has honestly been super helpful for me, and I wouldn't partner with a company if I didn't genuinely believe in the product. So, what does the app do? It basically helps you track your habits so that you can see your progress over time. There's a common business saying, what gets measured gets managed. Like I said, it usually applies to businesses, keeping track of things like their sales and customer satisfaction, but I think it's just as relevant for personal goals too. It sounds like a simple concept for an app, but I've personally found it to be super effective in helping create new habits. The app lets you add whatever habits you're currently working on building. For me right now, some of those include reviewing my to-do list each day uh, so that I stay on top of the things I want to get done. Another one is going to the gym, and another one is limiting my time on Twitter to five minutes a day. The app lets you add three habits for free, so you can see if you find it helpful. If you soon realize you want to track more than three habits, like I eventually did, the paid version lets you track unlimited habits and has other cool features, and it's pretty good value in my opinion. There's a link in the episode description that gets you 10% off. All right, let's jump into today's conversation. Hey, Abhishek. Hey, how's it going? Good, you? I'm all right, how are you? Good, thanks. Lunchtime for you? Uh, yeah, I actually have not yet, yeah, not yet eaten lunch, but I had a late start today, so. All right. Are you, are you working like a nine to five these days? I am, yeah. So I have like a, you know, regular day job thing, but most of my meetings tend to be later in the day because I tend to do a lot with the U.S. Okay. And, uh, as a result, my mornings kind of kind of be, are, are mine, and then by about seven or eight, I finish. Um, eight on a bad day, seven on a good day. Got it. How about you? How's everything going? Everything's good, thanks. Everything's yeah. good. Yeah. Um, where are you again? You're in Canada, in, right? Yeah, in Toronto. How's Toronto? It's good. What is, yeah, is it? Um, is I feel like Canada has been fully locked down for a while. I mean, in terms of lockdown, they've started loosening restrictions. Schools are opening this mm. week. Um, like they they recommend keeping six feet. But uh, you can still you can still go out. Restaurants are open now. Um, yeah, what's what's it like in you're in London? Yeah, in London, it's um, it's strange. We are like clearly going back up a curve of some sort. Um, yeah. We just recently have a rule coming out on Monday saying no gatherings, no social gatherings of six people or more. Okay. Um, or more than six, I think, is the number. But that seems a bit strange. We, we finally like took us ages to get a mask rule in place where you have to shop with the mask on and people still kind of flout that in various places. So it depends on where you are in the UK. It's a bit like the U S that way, like yeah. different, different regions tend to be a bit different. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm kind of concerned. I think like the government probably, they will probably like set something up so they can have Christmas because it'll be such a big deal for everybody. But yeah. as a result, like we'll all be 
like strangely like in and out of lockdowns and setups for a while. Yeah. Future seems very, very unpredictable right now. Yeah. Yeah. I, the more I read into it, the less I understood from what I previously read, like every day there's something else. I ever listened to a podcast today about how like herd immunity is a terrible thing. We should never consider it. And I was like, Oh, I mean, that's good to know, but for some reason that had been a conversation point for so long. Like, why was this person not telling us that? What is it? Say it again. Sorry. Herd immunity. Yeah. Apparently it's like, like definitely not what we should be doing. Like astoundingly bad. Like it's only (laughs) ever been done once and it's like a very small population, but never done at like a country level before. And the amount of people who would die from herd immunity is like massive. So the, the specialist was like, it's not an option. I don't know why this has been part of our conversation. <laughs> like this right. is strange. Yeah, I guess it feels like there's the kind of these big uh, decisions or approaches that we, at least you would think, have had kind of been figured out heading into a pandemic. But like masks, for instance, there was like a big, and then initially I think CDC said masks aren't effective and it took maybe a month or two from what I remember to change the stance which yeah it's interesting like i would have thought that would have that would have been known prior to covid um but yeah interesting times um but before we uh before we jump into kind of the the topic question for today i want to ask you about your podcast um i'm always curious like when i when i chat with people who have their own um like how are you enjoying it are you are you still doing it and what was the motivation behind it yeah, uh, I am still doing it. I decided that I didn't want to do like an evergreen show. Um, for me, the amount of time that it would take to do an evergreen show What's an was evergreen show? kind of one that just doesn't take breaks, like maybe take a week off here and there. Um, the full-time podcast, if you will. Yeah. I, I was doing it last year. I started it in November of last year and I published starting in January. So from January till about April-ish, I was behind or like I was kind of recording episodes and publishing week by week. And it was great. Yeah. I, I was always like one or two ahead of my curve, but that still was um, kind of exhausting. So I decided to take a, like a seasonal look at it. So I, I did like the first season, which is I'm just getting this under my feet. I'm going to let the world sort of spin on a bit. And then at the second season, which I've started to record now, I'm going to take a bit more care in who I talk to, finding people rather than just interesting people, people who actually have stuff that I think is pertinent to our world today and taking time to record like longer episodes with them and maybe cutting some of them up into two pieces to create a bit more of like a cohesive idea for a second season that might take like 20 episodes to do. Um, But I do like the idea of finishing like I did last year with questions that come from my guests. So have my guests ask me something personal or something that I have a thought on and then me answering that as part of like the final of that year. Cool. Cool. Yeah. Like I, I've tried to get in a rhythm of, of posting weekly, but I think similar to you, it, it can be like taxing. Uh, yeah. But it's, it's been, I guess, a nice way to kind of keep hold myself accountable uh, to, to keep it going. But yeah. I think the, the season season approach is interesting. I am. Um, I'm really, really OCD when it comes to my editing. Like I'm really OCD. <laughs> I've listened back to some old episodes and like, oh, I can't believe I missed that like half second blip thing that no one else would have caught. And I was like, no. Um, and the music being really meticulous and also I, every episode, I would do this thing where I would stay at the office till about 10 p.m. once a week 
um, from like 6.30 onwards um, just to edit an episode for like either the following week or the week after. And that was my routine because I was just like, I'm going to spend the entire evening getting this episode done. I listened to the episode on my walk home, hear anything that I needed to edit, come in the morning, finish it before I started work. And it was just a silly, silly experience. Um, so I need to find a better way of balancing. Yeah. Um, I, I think the, the approach I've taken is like, when I look at some of the, the big podcasters and stuff, if when I've listened to kind of their early episodes, they're not nearly as polished as where they are today. So maybe I'm using that as an excuse to kind of give myself <laughs> a break and not a, yeah, like try not to be a perfectionist, but I think uh, yeah. quality is important like as yeah. well. Yeah. I have some friends who work in, like audio and visual industries. Oh, cool. So they were the feedback. <laughs> I was like, <laughs> damn it. Like I learned what sibilance was and I learned what like, um, like different sounds could, could be adjusted and changed. And my friends were just like, here's some more advice. And they'd send you like 20 pages of stuff. You're like, great. I'm going to go read all this now. Have you heard of a phonic? I haven't. No. Okay. I don't know if you're using something similar, but I found it. I don't know if you would call it a hack to, to improve the quality it's a u p h o n i c and pretty much it's you just put your audio file in there and it'll normalize the volume take out background noise using Mm -hmm. whatever i guess algorithm they've set up Um, and i found it to be really effective especially at the voice leveling when the person i'm chatting with for whatever reason the output the the levels are quite different and for background Mm -hmm. noise it's pretty good yeah, I'll give it a try. Never tried it. I'm doing everything in Adobe Audition and I got really into the weeds of all the specific things I would do. And I haven't definitely I definitely haven't used Adobe Audition particularly well yet, but I need to get into it a bit. Um I kind of like the the individualness of it, but I would love for an aphonic to do basically like just like here's the the base level. You can open it up and start messing with it from there. But like I mean I was getting into like controlling everything, like hard limits and all that stuff. It was insane. Yeah, interesting. Yeah, I haven't done that stuff. But if you enjoy it, why not? Yeah. I mean, it's 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 weird. It's kind of like people, the, the analogy I make is like it's woodworking. Yeah. So it's like in the morning I do my really, really involved tasks. And then in the evening when my brain's like less focused on like creativity and needs just repetitive tasks, I'll do like the editing of the ums and the uhs and trying to like combine words because it's just tedious after like even a 30-minute episode will take like three hours to do. Wow. I used to do it on a plane too. That was the first thing I did. So I'd be on a plane and it just kill like when I flew back to the U S a couple of times, it was just like the whole flight was covered with like three episodes. It's like, Oh, this is, this is a nice <laughs> of killing time. Wow. Yeah. Interesting. I, like I said, if, if you enjoy it and like the, like the work woodworking analogy you gave for me, I haven't enjoyed the editing process as much. So I've tried to uh, kind of make it as bare bones as, as much as I can. So for me, the process is like 10, 10 minutes or less to, to get it up, which I enjoy. Mm-hmm. But maybe in the future, maybe I'll, I'll find more enjoyment in the editing yeah, and invest more time in it. Yeah. Of course. Um, is, it, is it cool if we jump into kind yeah. of the topic question? Thanks for, thanks for looking over the list and picking uh, a bunch. And sorry, some of them I had covered in recent episodes and I, I forgot to, to remove them. But all good. Um, yeah, the, the topic that we, we chose to kind of start on, uh, the question I had was, are people more or less likely to use things like gym memberships, for instance, when they get it for free? And you mentioned the concept of, 
of use for value, I think. Mm-hmm. So I'm just curious, what, what's your initial kind of thoughts? What came to mind when you heard the, that question? And what did you mean by use for value? Yeah, so there's an interesting factor that is psychologically driven with people. Um, I've noticed this a lot in my experiences at work with pricing models for products. I've noticed it as a consumer. And it's tied to the idea that some things have inherent value to users. Um, and giving that thing away for free has a negative, uh, sort of a negative experience with their usage of it. Either A, the user simply just activates their membership for the purposes of just having it yeah. sort of in the, in the back pocket, uh, not really intending to use it at all. Or B, they treat it with less um, care. So they look at it as this is a free service. I can sort of use it and abuse it because I don't have to worry about paying for it and there's no repercussions on me and, and that kind of thing. So I, I thought it was an interesting question because in my experience, and like let's use a gym as a, an example uh, per your question, if we were to give out free gym memberships, um, we'd have to, or at least the, the question would be in everybody's mind is how good is this gym? First of all, I mean, is it somewhere safe? Is it clean? Can I use it in a comfortable manner? But two, it's a bit more on the reverse is how well will people take care of it given that it's a free service? And if like public parks or any sort of example with littering and with like the misuse of anything that might be there, you're having to bolt things into the ground so no one steals them. I find the idea of giving something like that away for free has a bit of a negative uh, connotation to it in people's heads that they wouldn't choose to use it the right way or the appropriate way. Now, a gym is a really, really specific thing because it could hurt a lot of people too if they don't know what they're doing and they get it for free. They run right in and they use some sort of like, yeah, they use some sort of um, machine incorrectly. Yeah. But when you start looking at other things, for example, like a healthcare, which is where I live in the U- in the UK, we have the NHS and it is a free service that's tied to taxes. It's not fully free, obviously, but to the um, to the end user, there's no sort of payment that they make when they go in, no transaction, if you will. Um, there are benefits and there are issues there. Um, in the terms of the NHS, as an example, I, I find that it's really, really user-friendly because they have such a volume they have to take and they have to treat everybody with a little bit more care. So in that sense of it, a free service is quite nice. But at the same time, there is this element of people being able to use it quite quite a bit more often than they need to. So the, the kind of general care, the, the general practitioners have a little bit more of a um, mindset of just trying to get you out. You know, you don't really have anything major ailing you, they won't really put a lot of care into it. They don't have to because they do have a lot of other people who are quite stressed out and they need a bit more care. So if you're coming in with a shoulder injury, you know, they might not be as concerned as if someone who's got, you know, some heart issues or something like that. Um, yeah. Healthcare, the, healthcare yeah, is, in, sorry to interrupt. I was going to say healthcare mm-hmm. is, it's an interesting one in my mind in, in terms of like whether or not it should be like a free model per se, because like you said, I see at least I, I see the the pros and cons, like you make it free. And like you said, maybe people use it a bit more than they, they really need. Or on the flip side, if it's paid, maybe people use it a bit less than they actually should. And then to your point around, I guess, incentives for practitioners um, around maybe like providing, if it's, if it's a paid model, maybe providing, they provide care that's not necessarily needed. Um, so, yeah. 
Yeah. In fact, I'm like in the middle of a podcast from Hidden Brain that's exactly around that idea, which is the idea of fee-based services. And right. you, you may do more if you get paid more to do them. Um, healthcare is the funky one because a free healthcare system is not what really in, in our social like conversation we're, we're talking about. It's much more of a government-run healthcare system that's paid yeah. through, through via taxes. True. Yeah. Um, with a free model of other things that you imagine, you probably have to be limiting in terms of how much people can use it for free. So you get a gym membership, it's free, but you only get five visits a month. And it encourages you to get five active days in a month and use them sparingly. And then perhaps what you have is like a freemium model where you can purchase a, a more premium version of that gym membership and come in and actually get 20 uh, per month or something like that, or just like access to classes, whatever it is. And perhaps when you develop that idea of a free service that then has a paid version behind it, you might catch that little negative connotation to the free service. Right. Interesting. Um, so you, you mentioned kind of your initial response was um, with a lot of free services, sometimes there's like a negative, negative perception associated with like the value that it provides. Are there any, do you think that's like a, um, would you say you think that's like a standard rule or do you think there are exceptions? Like I was trying to, I, I, I tend to agree with you, but I'm trying to think of examples where maybe for some reason that the, that rule doesn't apply where if it's free, you're going to see um, more usage. Um, like I think of like tennis courts, for instance, they're, I guess, a uh, paid for through taxes, but um, a, a service that's provided by the government. And I, I use them a lot. Um, I don't know if I would play as much if it was pay per use. Maybe, maybe I would, I don't know, but mm-hmm. I don't know. That's just one, uh, one example that comes to mind. I, I agree with that. I think an idea of a basketball court, tennis court, sports field is a democratization of space that when free via taxes, obviously, but when free for the community to use has a really positive impact. Yeah. And those are experiences where we as a society kind of expect them all to be free because they're outdoor. But as soon as you put that inside and then that becomes free, then it'd be an interesting experiment to see what would be the offering. Cause then, you know, you can't maintain the same amounts of crowds as easily. You can't really have like that same sort of community aspect to it. If it's indoors. Um, I do think that the idea of pushing more and more items to be sort of built into the systems of society and being free is available to us. And, it could be really, really nicely responsive. I think the the Nordic countries out in Europe do a really wonderful job of that because there's so much thing, so many things that they just offer for free are really, really low cost because it's covered through all these social benefits. It's it's super helpful. I think a good example of maybe like a, let's just call it like a non-public service that's free that did democratize a lot was the idea of like, I mean, I'm going to say this and I realize fully what the connotation of it is, but like social media being free at first. And you can argue that, advertising is not free and they do target you but let's go like early stages of this thing before there was like a really heavy advertising scenario i think the turn that social media took could have been avoided but at the stage that it was like just getting up and running it was a wonderful way of suddenly connecting people that might not have been connected before and giving access to people that are it was much more difficult to get access to so me being able to um, talk to my relatives in a different country quite easily and check up on them and see their updates was really, really nice. And that was one of those things that started off free that worked out really well. Now, where it has gone from then is the example of where free kind of goes awry uh, with your Gmails and your 
WhatsApps and your Facebooks and your so on and so forth. Um, not to get too political on it. I think decisions could have been made to maintain a free version that actually still helps people. But I know there would have been millions of people who would pay, you know, a dollar a month to be on Facebook and that would have been fine. Yeah. Yeah. I guess nothing can ever really be free. There's got to be no yeah, such thing as a free lunch. Yeah. Some indirect cost. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I was trying to usually when I have these conversations, I try to think back to like, where, where did the question that I wrote down come from? Like where, what was the train of thought that got me there? So I was trying to think back to this one and I, I, I couldn't really remember, unfortunately where it came from. Um, but I, I had another question on the list that I think is similar, which was around like sunscreen. And if mm. I was just, um, I think the train of thought I was having was like similar, like if you made sunscreen free, I was trying to think of services that could maybe be provided to the government um, that could maybe help um, long-term bring down healthcare related costs yeah. like sun care, uh, sunscreen. Maybe it, maybe if you provide it for free at beaches, I started looking into it. There were some experiments that have been done, I think in, in New York where they did that trying to bring uh or I guess increased usage with the hopes of bringing down um, skin cancer cases. And the gym, I guess, is a similar thing where I was just curious, thinking through like, okay, would people use the gym more if it was free? Like, could that improve people's well-being? Is it something mm-hmm. that like the government would ever, would ever look at? Um, I have I have two thoughts yeah. that I think might be of interest. Yeah. And the first one with your sunscreen idea if you look at stores now, trains, services, public and private, hand sanitizer is almost fully available by everybody. And it is a free thing. Like yeah. no store is ever going to be like, you have to pay to use this. It'd be a gas, a ghastly thing to do that. And <laughs> it's entirely in the public's interest to do that. It's entirely for our safety and for the vigilance, but also very much so for the um, service that we're using, if it's a store or if it's a train or something it's entirely to keep them safe and us safe. And that's a really good example of something offered for free, you know, take the cost on the chin and it's for the greater good in a really, really obvious way. Now, are there maybe longer term issues that could happen uh, potentially with people abusing it or just overuse or something? But I think the point of that to maybe your sunscreen idea is a really good corollary. The other one on the gym side that I have that I thought was interesting was there is an actual gym and I can't remember where this was, I was trying to find the information of this, but I read an article ages ago. This gym would make you pay for a membership for a month, I think like $30 a month or something like that. And for every day you worked out, they would shave a dollar off. So if you cool. worked out every day, you'd get a free gym membership. And you could come in and do a stretch. You could come in and have a swim. You could use the weights. You could simply just check right in and have a sauna, like whatever it was. Their incentive was to get people to come in, which I thought was really fascinating because uh, they could give away free gym memberships, but it was a, it was a contract between the individual and the gym to do so. And if governments treated it that way, where it's like you can come into this scheme and it can be free for you, but the less you use it, the more expensive it might be. That would be kind of a funny way to see if people actually did get that social benefit. Um, and in gyms like that, what they did is they, they had people sign these like non-binding contracts that said, "I'm gonna rack my weights. I'm gonna wipe down my machines. I'm gonna." Um, put my mats away, like the the good care of a system to keep whatever place in, in check. And they just signed it. It wasn't binding. There's was no, there no penalties. But in doing that signing, they saw that 
all of the gym members were just way better at keeping the gym in, in a good shape because they had this like sense of themselves. Like I signed a contract to make this thing look good. I can get a membership for 10 bucks if I work out for 20 days a week, a month. So I'm just going to do my utmost to take care of it. And I think that might be like a social psychological little trigger to keep it safe. Very cool. Yeah. I want to, I want to try to find the example of that gym and, and read into it, see what, how, how it worked out. Um, and yeah, I love the, the hand sanitizer parallel. Uh, I agree. It's very similar. And I guess with hand sanitizer, you don't really have to worry about overuse. And I guess that's maybe why mm-hmm. it works. And I would think sunscreen would be the same. Like I, I can't imagine it's not one of those things where like you would just take advantage. I don't think of it. Like there's no, no real value to you of it. So yeah, it is, it is an interesting parallel. And I guess with the hand sanitizer and the sunscreen, you know, there's still, there's still costs. It's indirect. If it's a company providing it, you know, maybe their prices go up by a small amount to cover the cost of, of the hand sanitizer that they're providing or with government, if they're providing sunscreen, it makes its way into, into your taxes. But I guess, um, yeah. So yeah, I think in those two examples, it makes sense that usage would go up. Um, I guess the, the piece around like, okay, does this have a meaningful impact on um, reducing skincare cases, skin cancer uh, cases, and what is the impact on the healthcare system? That's a whole other Mm -hmm. conversation, but um, it might be high. It might be, it might be interesting as a, as a thought experiment to think if you give people access to sunscreen, where do you do it? Do you do it at the park? Do you send everybody a bottle to their home? Because that also could be a big measure of whether or not it would help. Because if we all start putting sunscreen on every day in our routine and we get out and we are covered from you know minute one, and then at every interval of our 30 minutes when you're supposed to kind of reapply, you see some at a park or you see some outside somewhere you can reapply, that might be really interesting and quite helpful. And I would wonder that the the countries that would have to do that would have to be much more like you know, homogeneously kind of white in general because of the the care that would take. And then countries in the South would probably be a little less so, but there would be other sort of things they'd need to help. Yeah. I, I tried crunching the numbers um, at a high level. Like I just looked at um, the estimate for Canada of how much the healthcare burden is of skin cancer annually. And then what did I do? I saw like what percent, 90% of it was um, estimated to be linked with with um, like sun exposure. So I guess mm. avoidable cases, 90% if sunscreen is used properly. Um, and then I just kind of estimated, okay, like could, could providing sunscreen for free reduce cases by, I don't know, 25%. I can't remember what I used. If it was, it was somewhere between 10% and 25% reduction. And that the cost of that translated to a budget of like $5 per Canadian mm. it could be given out in in sunscreen on an annual basis so that'd be like I guess a bottle of sunscreen that to your point government could just ship to you um, so the, the anyways the numbers it was interesting to me that the numbers could make sense I was just yeah I was just trying to think about like would people use it more would people use sunscreen more if a bottle was shipped to them on a mm. on an annual basis and I'm I'm not convinced I, I think it's possible but I, I don't know I think on the hand sanitizer side it's faster. I think on the sunscreen side, it's a little bit more intensive just because you'll have to cover various body parts and see in the mirror. If you see how you have anything on your it's nose. more work. Yeah. Yeah. 
unfortunately, timing can be a little bit of a limit for users. They're like, uh, that takes me a little too long to do every day, so I'm not going to. Yeah. Um, any Anything else related to this kind of topic question that you, you were kind of thinking about that, that came to your mind kind of leading up to this? I mean... I think, I mean, your general question is, are people more or less likely to use something, right? And, yeah. And I think the fascinating bit is, I think the answer is always more likely to use something, but it's the value of use that's the real question, right? So imagine that I decide to give everybody um, a MacBook Pro, like the really nice computer, and everybody in Toronto gets a MacBook Pro for what I am in, in insinuating to be a really good public need. Like you're all working from home, you're all schooling from home. There's a reason that everybody needs this. Um, there's a less, instead of what we were talking about earlier, which is a little bit more of like a membership slash non-owned thing, it's, it's uh, being able to attend or be a part of something. When you start considering the idea of an ownership that's for free, like this is your thing and I'm giving it to you. Um, I guess a lot of like, a lot of the, the studies in the past and the psychology around it would say that the idea of care of ownership would suddenly really be a concern. And sense. then the idea is that people would, people would see it as um, almost like a right to have this thing. So if they abuse whatever system they get, they would be like, okay, cool. I've messed up my book in six months and three months and one year and two years. You have to send me another one. And then you quickly get into a weird cycle where it's like, the positive care of use is really good. And that would be a fascinating thing because I think more use is great, but I think more like proper beneficial use is better rather than just like blanket use. Yeah, that's a good point. So any, anything where whatever you're, whatever is being given out requires care mm. and ownership, um, there's maybe some more problems with giving it away for, for free. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you're, you have an interesting... I'd love to hear your thoughts on this because in just in general, Canada as an American, even though I live in the UK, Canada is sort of like a gold standard for things that are better offered in, in various spaces because it's just a bit more of, I mean, I say socialist in the, in the truest terms of that. It's like a little bit more of like a, a government that's out for the individuals that way. Have you seen the scare tactic of the U S is like, if we do Medicare for all, then, uh, ultimately like prescriptions are going to be out of control and people will just be abusing the system. And, and do you see that in Canada? Is it an experience that people having more access to things, let's just say at a lower cost, but for all, all intents and purposes, potentially even free, is that much of an issue? I, I haven't seen it as a big concern. Um, I'd say overall, I like, I like this model. I prefer this model. Um, in terms of the, the debate between like, if, if you make something free healthcare free is there going to be more abuse um versus the flip side if if it's cost prohibitive are people going to avoid seeking care i i resonate more with it's more of a problem if it's cost prohibitive um that people are going to avoid care and there's going to be longer term health consequences for them so yes i could see by making things free like for instance i've been impressed since covid started um, there's been, um, different, different private companies that have come out with apps where you can essentially FaceTime, 
uh, a practitioner, a doctor um, on demand, like in, in minutes um, as kind of like a walk-in type scenario. And it's free for, for people like me to use, which I could see the concern about making it so convenient. Maybe people are, are using it for, for um, instances that they don't really need to um, seek care. But I still, yeah, in short, I, I lean towards, I, I think it's better that people have that option. And I think for the most part, if people are seeking like health advice, it's probably for good reason. Would you then say that in doing one of these sort of more free purposes and, and for an entity like the government to take upon the burden of having to control a lot of that stuff, would you potentially see um, a leaning more towards like preventative measures? So the idea being that everybody could come to the hospital and we, we are stressed if that does happen, but you know, that's the point of our system. Everybody can come, but what we'd like to do is teach everybody in our sunscreen analogy and our gym analogy and, and just with healthcare, how to prevent needing to use any of this stuff. So I want to give you the tools so that you don't need to come to the hospital and have preventative healthcare in that way. Have you seen more of that than compared to maybe what you've heard about in the U S or something? Uh, I don't know if I've seen more of it. I'd have to, I'd have to look into it, but my gut would say that you would see more of the preventative care because under the U S model where there's a lot of money in, in big pharma and um, just like treating the, the disease like alleviating symptoms versus like there's a lot of money to be lost i guess in some cases if if you're switching to more a more preventative model um so i think um the model where it's funded by the government like in in canada it i I would think it lends more to there's more benefits to to kind of trying to uh, push a preventative Mm -hmm. model even if it brings down the overall like cost of of healthcare yeah like that would be a good thing in canada versus in the u.s if if the overall cost of healthcare comes down like wouldn't that it would hurt a lot of um yeah that's a good point it's a it's a business versus a service is that i think that's yeah yeah it's it's sort of the idea of like preventative healthcare reduces the cost of healthcare but you're treating it like a service like the same reason that we put um you know, winter tires on our car to reduce the wear on the cars. And it's just an idea that is meant to make whatever system operate more smoothly. I had a very interesting experience because I I grind my teeth when I sleep and I wore a night guard for ages in the US and I'd left it somewhere when in traveling in Europe. And so I went to get one here and the doctor asked me, which no one had ever asked me this before. The doctor asked me, well, why do you grind your teeth? And I, I was like, I don't know. Like, can you explain to me as a Usually it's tied to a lot of things like it's tied to stress and da da da. Have you tried doing these things? Have you tried jaw exercises? I can get you a night guard, but we should probably figure out how you don't have to live with having a night guard the rest of your life. And I, I was blown away by that because in the U.S. it was very literally like, cool, you need a night guard. Cool, here come in for this appointment. It's two hundred fifty bucks. Like we'll get this thing done and then come back every time and bring it and we'll check it into it so you can get another one when you're wearing this one out. And this doctor was like, I don't want to have to give you this. I'd like to figure out why you have this problem, but I will give it to you. However, you have to commit to me that we're going to try to figure out what to do to fix this if you come back. So that's awesome. 
Yeah, I thought that was a good a good version. Yeah, like I don't know from my from my experience and just me like those those types of questions I'll get from like the when I seek healthcare I guess in Canada, but I, I don't have the equivalent experience in the U.S. to know to to have a comparison. Yeah, yeah, it's funny though. It it does underline the the I guess the thesis behind your original question is is the endeavor to make people healthy by the government standards and prop up a service or is the government in more of a profitability focus and like trying to find a way to, to do like that freemium model that I mentioned where we'll give it to you for free, but it's a lesser version than what you could pay for. Cause the two have very different structures and very different paths forward. And obviously there's different problems to tackle in that way. Yeah. Do you, do you think the U S will eventually shift towards a, a model similar to Canada? I, can tell you in my learning about the healthcare system, one of the biggest blockers to doing it was actually doctors, strangely. Um, The American Medical Association was the one in the original stages that was really vehemently against any sort of public healthcare system because they worded it in the way that, you know, tickles a conservative node, which is the government's going to get involved in your healthcare decisions. And I think that was used when the ACA was getting launched a little bit too, saying, you know, death panels and so on and so forth, which, you know, no one ever saw happen and was kind of just a fib. Um, What's what's that death panels? It was this idea when the ACA was going through its route through Congress with Obama that um, because government would be in in control of healthcare, that there would have to be these panels of people that would decide whether or not you'd get healthcare. Like if you're in the hospital and you're potentially uh, at a fatal illness and someone else is in the hospital with a similar illness, they'd have to have a panel discussion as to who is willing to be saved. Um, Obviously that's complete hogwash in every way, but I found that interesting because there's going to be a a pushback no matter what in the U S if we ever get to a point of wanting to be, um, I guess more of a healthcare oriented country and the pushback will be on a conservative front and it will be on the side of like encouraging people not to let the government into that personal life. That being said, with a lot of the solutions that have been purport, like proposed, people are kind of generally in favor of it. But as soon as you in- increase the fear of what that potential new solution could be, that's when it starts to get a bit hairy. So I, w- I hope it does change. I honestly do. I think it would be incredibly helpful. Having your healthcare tied to your employer having to have a job to have healthcare, like losing your job because you can't work because you got injured and having the injury progress to a point where you can never work again. It really gets hairy really quickly for a person. And even just living here, like knowing during COVID that I, if I needed to go to the doctor or the hospital and let's say something terrible happened and I did lose my job, I would be fine. Uh, that was a really big comfort. And I can't imagine that being taken away. Yeah. I mean, I, I'm no expert. I don't, I don't understand the intricacies of, of the healthcare system, but let me know your thoughts if this makes sense. The way I view it is like on average as, as an American, like um, you, I, I think you're better off being in Canada from a healthcare perspective. But the thing is people go to the U S for, you know, some of the best cutting edge kind of care. And I think it's because it has this motto where, I guess, I guess, you know, um, like surgeons and and medical experts, a lot of them go where the money is and like, that's where you can, you can make the most money. Um, so you're right. 
You're right. That's a, that's a very good point. There is much more innovation in the U S cause there's a lot more dollars tied to that innovation. Yeah. Um, there's, there's probably a solution there that we can get into in another very long conversation that lets the two live harmoniously. Yeah, Cause cool. obviously, yeah. yeah, I think so. I think, you know, the UK does a decent enough job of having a mix of the two where there is private healthcare in the UK that does like afford a different kind of care to people who want to pay for it. But I always thought that the funniest thing someone told me, because if we're comparing what the two systems are against each other, the funniest analogy I had was at the show Breaking Bad, which was one of the best shows on television, yeah. was all steeped in the idea that the guy didn't have healthcare because he was a poor American teacher. But if Breaking Bad had taken place in like Ottawa, it would have been a one episode show and be like, no, you're fully covered. We'll like totally treat you right now. This will be fine. And like scene. (laughs) That's funny. That's funny. So, uh, in, in the UK model where, where you have both public and private, is, is it an issue where, um, where the, the best, the best doctors are going to the private system? To some degree, yeah. I mean, I don't know best is the right word, but I think some of the best care you get is going to be private care. But at the stage that we're talking at a, at a societal stage, it's it's just care at any point, right? It's getting some of the right kind of care to just avoid having to need the best care. But then those people who want the best care can go out and get it and it works fine. And I've been to both before and there's the convenience of the private system and there's like the extra effort of the private system and the nicer facilities. But when you're going in for like the basic needs, um, it's just nice to not have to worry about that. Yeah. Um, it says, it's telling me we have less than a minute before Zoom kicks mm-hmm. us out, but I Do think... Do you want to try to make me the host of it and I can maybe keep it going longer? Sure, let me see. you're the host now yeah i don't i don't think it was gonna boot us but just to be safe if see if i can do this quick i think we should be okay there was an extension that i think came in um some sort of note taker extension that i think i accidentally Mm. installed and uh that was showing up as the third participant but I removed it at the start. I think we should be okay, but I guess we'll yeah. see in the next few seconds. <laughs> <laughs> I'll see. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm trying to see if I can do anything, but yeah, if we get booted, then we'll have to just pop back in. And we're back. Sorry about that. First time okay. that's happened to me. Mm-hmm. Uh, usually with two people, you, you have unlimited minutes. Yeah. Um, I think this extension threw it off. Yeah. Um, sorry, did you, did you have anything you wanted to say heading into that or no, I think that was, I think, I think we had had a a natural, a natural inter interjection there. Yeah. Um, so in the, in the last 15 minutes or so, I mean, I could, I could ask you a little bit about, we we could, we could talk a little bit about education as another kind of category of, of free versus paid kind of relating to the use and value we get people get out of it. Um, mm. unless you had any, any other areas that are interest, interest, more I mean, interesting for you. We haven't talked about education. It's fascinating that, that as one, cause I'm a child of public school in the U S and then I went to private university and 
there is definitely a measure of like private being better um, in most of the places that I've seen. However, I do believe that just offering again, a solution to people because the average human being who might've gone to public education who then could get it for free might be like, okay, well, I I don't know if it's going to be to the value that I need. So I'm going to go to private education, but just the other human being who couldn't actually get education, but then gets it free. It it then becomes like, yes, the value is sensibly going to be lesser because you've given it to everybody and potentially your workforce is going to have more of the same degrees, but ultimately an educated population is a better population in a lot of ways. People just knowing more about how the world works and what society is going to offer to them and the issues and the troubles of the human body or finances or whatever statistics, that's just a better solution for everybody in the end. So education is one where I firmly believe like any sort of availability is really good. Now, how you democratize all that correctly and how do you avoid people who just have a lot of power who try to take control of a nice public one and make it their own? That's a very, very different beast altogether. Yeah, I, I agree with you. Like having a public system at, at a minimum is, is better than nothing. Um, I just think back to, um, so yeah, I, I went to also public school for, I guess, elementary and high school in Canada and then university was, was private. Um, and I don't, I don't know if it was like the quality of the education I got. It was probably a, a combination of both the, the quality was better in, in private, plus the, the point you made early on around just value in that, you know, I'm spending a lot of money on this. I better pay attention. Um, I think that also factored in. And I think, I think, too, when I went on like an exchange program for a semester and I went to, to Europe and most of, most of the people I met or a lot of them, um, I think it's like Germany and some of the Scandinavian countries, post-secondary education is, is free, like mm. built into their taxes. And a lot of them, like they, they were like stretching out their post-secondary education instead of like four years, they were doing their undergrad in like eight or 10 years. And it didn't, like, it didn't seem that maybe it's this value thing where it's free and I guess it's hard to say what's right and wrong. Like, you know, you can make an argument um, like North Americans are, you know, just trying to like rush through and like, like move so fast where your the European approach is, you know, a bit more laid back, take your time. There's no rush. Um, so yeah, sorry. I don't know if I have a question, but I was just, trying <laughs> to, I was just getting out some of my thoughts. I like that. I like that analogy though. Um, I think I think it could definitely be a situation where people take a lot longer to finish. Though I would argue it's probably better as a society if we all consider ourselves constantly learning. Because honestly speaking, I was uni- I graduated university in 2007. I, I stopped school altogether for into about 2008. And I, I would say that in those years where I stopped learning was probably when I was slowest as a human being. And I, and I should probably pick up knowledge in any way, shape, and form that I can, even if it's not book-related knowledge. Here's a here's a fun variation on this all though. What about podcasts? So technically all podcasts are free. I mean, we had advertisements and the really nice ones, but generally speaking, like it's just on your phone, you just click it. There are paid ones you can get like the Lumiere app and all and it and it's free for us to publish them as as podcast creators. Like there's obviously a sunk cost in creating them, but um, ultimately no one's charging us to publish. So if we charge people to publish podcasts and we charge people to listen to podcasts, much like you would a book, like an audio book, would that be better? Would that be worse? Yeah. Interesting. Uh, 
I mean, I think I've thought about a little bit what podcast model I think my preference would be. Um, and yeah, like you said, the current state of it really, there are some paid options, but for the vast majority of people consuming podcasts, it's free. Um, and, uh, podcast hosts are making money through advertisements and, um, I'm always a little bit, you know, skeptical of the advertising model, like paying through it indirectly. So I think, I think my preferred model would be some, something where, uh, it's, it's available for free, but you have a recommended, like pretty much an option for people to pay what, what they think it's worth. I I'd be curious to see, you know, uh, if that model is sustainable, how much abuse there is. And by abuse, I mean, people um, consuming it for free when they, they have the ability to pay, but don't because, because it, it is free. Um, but that's a model I've thought about that doesn't really exist today. And, you know, I thought it'd be cool if, um, if, if I had an option to say, you know, either, either I had the option to do like micro payments where, you know, I could say each episode's 25 cents or something like that. I think that'd be cool. And ideally, maybe the model is, you know, some people just can't afford that and I want it to be available for free. But if you can recommend it as 25 cents or whatever you'd like. Yeah. I also find it interesting that we are in a, a current state because podcasting is such a democratized way of pub, of publishing information. It's like blogging used to be. And there was a point where everybody had a blog. And so now it's getting to a point where there's like a huge saturation of podcasts in the market. So it makes me wonder if situations like Spotify and like Apple podcasts would be, it would be benefited by charging um, creators to upload their podcasts in order to increase the quality of content. Obviously oh, the really expensive ones, you know, a Freakonomics or a Joe Rogan or whatever, they would be fine. You could just publish them as is. And it'd probably be like, you'd want to acquire them rather than pay, ask them to pay. But for you and me, like the, you know, smaller podcasts that are a bit more community oriented. Um, yeah. I, I mean, what would I do if they charged me 10 pounds per episode to publish? Because the reach is so vast. And would that reduce the amount of like other podcasts I'd be competing with? And Unfortunately, that really leads us into a strange like auctioneering system. Like if I'm willing to pay 15, can you like bump me up above the 10 pounders? And, you know, there's a really odd economy that could come there. If they did it, I, I don't think I'd be happy with it. But at the same time, I think I'd be really fascinated to see what the market would look like post a charge mechanism. Yeah, interesting. Uh, I agree with you. I'd like to I'd like to see some different models there. I haven't seen too many different podcast models, so. Um, yeah, I'd be, I'd be curious to see, um, on the, on the education piece, have you used Coursera or edX or come across those? I haven't done either of those two. I've come across them. I know them quite well just from other experiences of life, but I have done like, um, W3 schools for coding and I have done various like online code academies and such like that. So I'm very aware of like how useful the public education was for me. Like we do this thing at my company where we have a week where we all hack on just whatever projects we want to work on that's unrelated to our day-to-day job. And I took one week to learn Python and build an app that would make my workflow a lot easier. That was specifically just entirely for me and for nobody else. And it did help other people in the end, but no one really ended up using it. And I... I loved doing it and I would not have wanted to pay for Python lessons from there. Cause I'm like, 
no, I, I need it for a week. I don't need it ever again. Right. Do you, do you think these, these models are sustainable? Because I, I love the idea, like Coursera and edX, uh, most of the courses, if not all, I think you can get for free. You can pretty much audit the courses and then there's an option to pay for each of the courses to get, uh, I guess it's to get a certificate and then also to unlock some additional features. So I guess it's a bit of a freemium model. I like, I wonder what your thoughts. I mean, yeah, that freemium model is a tried and tested model of, of internet software and yeah. the way we use it. And it's what zoom does the way we're recording this. And it's what, um, you know, has been made popular with Spotify's and so on and so forth. Um, yeah. I appreciate it. I think it's a great way of, of introducing me. I've, I've personally became a buying member uh, like a paying member of a lot of services because of the freemium model. Um, for the longest time I would, I would have like um, avoided that kind of thing. Cause I thought like, Oh, I don't want to, I want to just see what I can do to, to sneak out. But I just realized the, the value of it was quite high to me. So like a headspace meditation app was really important that I had, you know, a, a, a paid membership too. Cause I wanted to continue doing it and grow myself and audiobooks through audible was a really big one for a very long time for me. Spotify I do pay for, and I do use for that. I do really appreciate that variation of it because it allows me to, um, it basically allows me to to try before I buy. And I think that's the benefit of an edX and a Coursera and education because you can get in there. And if you really see the value of something, if you've gotten fully to the point where you're like certified in R as a statistic modeling um, language, you're like, oh, I really actually like that certificate on my LinkedIn, then by all means, like go for it. It'd be very helpful. Yeah. I was going to ask you something, but I, I just forgot. Um, anything else coming to mind for you? While I no, I think that I think, yeah. I think we've touched on like a lot and I've t- touched on a lot of really interesting concepts and ideas. And um, I'm always curious as to what people think about this. Cause as, as a person who's now lived in two different countries and seen two very different models of like social control of you know getting free healthcare and not free healthcare and doing this that and the other it's really fascinating to me and I've, I've traveled to like the nordics a lot so i've seen what they do and um the scare of everybody in any of these things is always like a tax oriented thing or a payment oriented thing in some way they don't understand but my only like real final thought here is um i'd rather the peace of mind versus the the potential thought of savings because I've noticed that the peace of mind of having healthcare and not having to worry about it is better to me than the 30% of premium that I pay through my employer that then I have to re up every year into the right one and so on and so forth. And then that expands itself into every other model. Like I, I'm, I'm very, very, I'm one of those people who will happily, if it, if I, if I can afford it, be a part of a system that I think is adding a lot of value to my life. And if they're offering it for fully for free, um, and never have any payment model to it. And it's all advertisement oriented. I'm actually somewhat less likely to use it. I think it would be more of a critical thing. And, but podcast being the one like thing on the side that I, I really like value to the point where I will pay a Patreon for somebody's episodes. Cause I think that they're worth them. Yeah. Interesting. I found it interesting what you said around the, the peace of mind around healthcare of having it for free. I, I wonder if, if there's anything actually to that where like people in the States, like maybe there's some actual stress that's created 
I assume, I imagine like yeah. people are stressed because they can't afford it and that's contributing to worse health outcomes, which is kind of yeah. ironic. It is. It's even, even to some degree a bit stranger because there, there's a whole generation of younger, uh, younger people. I mean, myself included to some degree when I lived there that thought, well, I, I'm like sort of invincible. I'm never really going to get sick. So why do I care? And therefore wouldn't really bother too much with healthcare. If they didn't get it through their work, they were just like, whatever, I'll just like take the, um, take the hit if it ever happens and thinking of yourself as a bit more invincible and therefore becoming more of a cost to the system because whenever they went in, they were unable to pay the large, large, large bills. Um, U.S. healthcare bills are just the most ridiculous thing ever. And the history behind them is absolutely insane. Um, the co- the, the um, sort of collective bargaining agreement between insurance companies and hospitals is, is a pain. But that actually is one of the things we don't have in the UK. And I'm assuming you don't have in Canada because um, people don't need to think they're invincible. They, they probably can, but they also already have healthcare in case they're not, you know, yeah. they don't have to stress too much about it. Cool. Well, I know we're just coming up on time. Uh, it was great meeting you, Abhishek. Uh, yeah, really wonderful to meet you too. Yeah, hopefully we can have um, more conversations in the future. Yeah, I like that. I um, hope I was not too rambly with all these very interesting questions. Oh, not not at all. Not at all. Thank you. Thank you so Thank much. Thank you so much. Time. Take care. You too. Bye. Thanks again for tuning in to Can I Ask You a Question? If you liked this episode, I'd really appreciate it if you left a rating on iTunes or Google Podcasts or wherever you're listening from so that more people like you can discover it. Also, it'd be super helpful if you'd be willing to leave some feedback on any ideas you have for improving future conversations using the link in this episode's description. Thanks again and see you next time.